Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I'm one of the co-hosts, uh, and uh, along with uh, Dennis Golfin. <clears throat> and uh, just to, we got a small panel, but that'll be great because we got a big subject and we need just a few voices that are speaking to issues that really need to be stated clearly. And today also we have a wonderful, wonderful guest, uh, PhD, scholar, theologian, par excellence, uh, Dr. Archer from Southeastern University in um, Lakeland, Florida, a place that I've visited. And she's also works with the Society of Pentecostal Studies uh, of which I'm a part also. And I'm just looking forward to her being president director and all those kind of good things. So, but before we get, begin our discussion, I'm gonna I'm gonna step aside and let Dennis uh, do the rest of our introductions. Thank you, Van. It's good to be here today with you. I'm glad you're enjoying our straight talk uh, program every Friday morning at 10 a.m. right here on Facebook Live. We also have our YouTube channel. You can join that on Kingdom Governors, and then we also have our podcast that's up. Talk straight on Anchor. So you can join us on any one of those platforms. We're glad to have our guests with us this morning and our regular panel. We just become a regular, Dr. Dr. Lewis and Dr. Tom. We're glad to have them there with us. And some of our other panelists are not here today, but we welcome you to our program for the day. Van? Okay. Well, yes. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Dr. Archer, once again, welcome to Straight Talk and uh, uh, thank you for agreeing to come back because I know you're a busy woman, a busy professor, a busy woman, and you're a professor and a wife, mother, and all that stuff going on. Plus, it's women who make the world go round. We all understand that. Uh, after being married for 50 years, I, I've come to understand that. Anyhow, <clears throat> I would, uh, we, we, began, we ended last week, uh, uh, Melissa, with us uh, hitting the point that if we don't get the beginning of the story correctly, like Genesis chapter one uh, through chapter three or four, whatever, if you don't get that right, then the, you know, I believe the, the, the Bible is the complete gospel, the meta-narrative. And if you consider like creation, the fall, redemption, consummation, uh, you know, we, we've got, I guess the starting question I want to give you, not that you have to start with this question because you can open any way you want, but I would love to hear your opinion on this question. Why is it that of in the fallenness of man, it is the woman that has been mostly attacked? Why is it? Why such attention uh, to the role of the woman in creation by God, the Imago Dei? Why such an adverse response uh, coming against the womanhood? Well, uh, thank you again for the opportunity to be here. I really enjoyed last week, uh, last week's discussion. So I'm I'm excited to be here again. And you know that that's that's a great question, and I think it is uh, fundamental to to everything that that we were talking about last week. Um, we talked about you know, the creation of, of man and woman, as you said, uh, in the image of God. So how important it is that we read chronologically, uh, that we read Genesis 1 um, and, and see that the man and the woman are uh, created equally, are both in relationship with God 
and are tasked with the same the same task of, of you know ruling and stewarding and 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 all of those things. Um, and so when we get to of course the fall in 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 Genesis three, um, where we see in the text makes clear that 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 Adam is with with his wife. Um, it is certainly the woman who. Uh, is kind of blamed for for everything that takes place there in in the garden, and I think that that we read the consequences of the fall, that um, you know Adam is going to toil by the sweat of his brow, and the woman's pain is going to be increased in childbirth, and um, that the husband will rule over her. We read these as you know, kind of divine prerogatives rather than kind of consequences of, um, you know, what has taken place as, as a result of their, of their disobedience. Um, the relationship between the husband and wife is, is altered in that. Um, but I, I don't think that that was God's intention. If that was God's intention for the man and the woman to be like that, we would have read about that in, in, in chapter one. Um, and so when we get to the other end of the canon and we're looking at the gospels and we're looking at how Jesus interacts and the, the dignity that Jesus gives to women and the way that Jesus enables women to be his disciples and entrust them with the message of the resurrection, we often fail to see that that's important because for us, it doesn't seem like any big deal. But in that context, in that culture, that was a huge thing. Women, women's word was not valued. Um, a woman's witness in court was not valid. And so the greatest message that Christ has risen from the dead is, in, is entrusted to the women. That, that's significant. Um, and so, you know, Paul is, gonna, is going to talk about that in, in Galatians 3. Um, and, and so when we elevate, I think when we elevate the, the role of the woman in kind of the fall, um, then we begin to think about the woman as inferior um, in, in all kinds of ways. When we focus on Adam being created first and then Eve and use that to say that, you know, it is this hierarchical relationship, um, you know, then I think we, we kind of get into trouble with, um, from my perspective, in the way that we understand male and female. We're not mm. doing that men and women are, you know, are the same, that there's no distinctives in, in our gender. Of course, of course there are, and we should celebrate those. What's mm -hmm. cool about even your, um, uh, your, your Facebook, um, th this podcast that we're on right now, because it is men, men and women right. talking and sharing and learning from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that um, when we, when we look at Genesis 1 first and we use that as our theological foundation, that this is God's intention um, and that that's what that, that Christ is getting us back to. If Christ redeemed us from the curse, then he redeemed us from all of it. And mm. to me, I think that that's foundational for us. Mm. So I kind of wandered around there. I don't know. You might want to <laughs> come back to something I said. No, I think, I think really we should focus in on the beginning where Jesus said on the issue of divorce from the beginning, it wasn't as so. And I yeah. think if we relate our dialogue because of our limited time uh, with you and this subject, 
that we should hone in on that Genesis one from many angles. Like for instance, I have this thought that that Adam was uh, created a hermaphrodite, an androgynous being. That Adam and Eve were created simultaneously, but Eve was formed secondarily out of Adam, and that just destroys the hierarchy. And then the other thought too, Melissa, is uh, if women are to be degraded, why is it that God decided to become a man through a woman and leave the man out of the picture completely? <laughs> I'm just saying. Never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do think, and, and I, I want to give credit to, you know, to this. Um, there's a great book um, by Kevin Giles. Uh, I like him a lot. He's done a, a lot on talking about passages related to women. It's called What the Bible Actually Teaches on Women. I mm. recommend it. Um, you know, one of the things that he talks about in looking at the Ephesians 5 passage um, is this idea of the oneness that you were talking about, the, the, the oneness of Adam and Eve um, being one flesh, Genesis chapter two, Adam says, it's now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? Um, and so this is why a man will leave his, his father and mother and cleave to his wife, right? They become one, one flesh. And he highlights that, um, Giles talks about that. And when Paul brings that up in Ephesians 5, in the passage that we really only ever talk about wives submitting to their husbands in. Um, it's so <laughs> fascinating that Paul goes back to that Genesis chapter two verse to talk about the oneness of, of the man and the woman. And, and Giles makes the wonderful point that that is what Christ brings that ability for the man and the woman to experience that oneness that it's not it's not this hierarchy it is the mm -hmm. mutual submission the oneness with christ as the head of the marriage and i i just think that's a beautiful concept that um, enables us to capture that idea in the creation narrative and pull it into our understanding of what does it mean to um, be mutually um, submissive to one another as mm -hmm as Paul calls for us to be. Okay. Melissa, can I, can I ask you about this in, in the second chapter of Genesis, this help meet word. And I remember years ago, I was doing a study on that and found that uh, that Hebrew word is used, I don't know, 49, 50 times in the Old Testament. And in all but one instance, it's used to refer to divine military aid which sounds a lot different from some kind of real subservient position. Okay, would you talk about that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's often used uh, as well of, of Yahweh, that Yahweh is Israel's helper. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, it's definitely a, it, it's a strong term um, that, that gets used. And I, I think you know, kind of our English understandings, perhaps in, in the word of, of, of helper or help meet, um, I think we couple it with First Peter 2 of the woman being the weaker vessel um, and kind of get this idea of, of um, you know, kind of lesser, the woman as lesser be because of this terminology. But that doesn't seem to be the way that term um, gets understood throughout, throughout scripture. Um, and that's another aspect that I think we need to teach and, and, and highlight in you know, in our, in our teaching and preaching on this topic. 
in my mind, when I marry that with the Genesis 1 passage of Adam and Eve being, being created in the image of God and, and to, to have dominion, it's, I think I used the word last week, the idea of being co-regents, mm-hmm. not the idea of this kind of ex- subservience. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. And I, you know, I think, I think that's, I think that is um, God's intention um, for sure. Um, you know, we recognize, of course, you know, scripture is written in um, kind of a patriarchal context. Um, and we see throughout scripture that, um, you know, it, it, it is that way. And, um, but I think we see those kind of threads of, of, of redemption that, that are pulled throughout the narrative and, and those become important for us to, to highlight. But we also see the way women get dominated in scripture as, as well. And violence happens against women. Um, and, you know, those become, those become challenging passages for us to, to kind of think about. Mm. Lois, you're being awful quiet there, and I'm sure your brain is moving. Well, I'm thinking about, uh, I might have mentioned this book last week, but just in case I didn't, um, Dr. Deborah Gill and Dr. Barbara Cavanis, their book, um, God's Women Then and Now, deals with this, uh, the, the creation narrative and, <clears throat> and talks about equality, mutuality, unity, and intimacy. And um, in, in God's ideal, we've got sameness celebrated and mutuality. You've got men and the man and the woman ruling together and working as a team together, like Melissa said, uh, as one. Unity, they're joined as one flesh. Intimacy, they're naked without shame. And then that's marred by sin where the equality is ignored. Subordination is imposed. You know, he will rule over you. Um, unity is severed. You know, they're guilty. They're, he's bringing accusations against her. And then intimacy is thwarted, uh, where sin exposes their, their shame. But then in Christ, equality is restored, mutuality is reestablished, unity is reinforced, intimacy is encouraged. But then what happens is, I, I, maybe I'm an idealist, but I tend to always think, what would life be like if men and women had continued throughout history to, uh, to have that restored equality, that reestablished mutuality, that reinforced unity, that encouraged intimacy. Um, I think the same uh, about uh, the story of, of uh, slavery and racism in America. You know, what if Christians had not used the scripture to justify enslavement of African people? to justify lesser than? What if people don't use uh, the scripture to justify, um, you know, that they're protecting their their own safety, their own uh, situation? You know, this is why it's incumbent upon us as believers, as the church, as leaders to continue to communicate the truth of the gospel about all of these things. It might feel like this huge mountain of history and pain and trouble that's gone in our past. And yet we, we might feel like this squeaky little voice in the present saying, no, it wasn't meant to be that way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, but 
you know, let's squeak on, you know, let's, let's yeah. keep saying these things because uh, the love of God needs to be shed abroad in our hearts and, um, and, and, and to rescue people who are dealing with uh, the results of bad theology. When I was working on my paper for SPS on violence against indigenous women, I feel, I feel like, you know, um, what's his name's press secretary showing a pile of paper, but <laughs> anyhow, um, this, you know, the, uh, the amount of uh, story and, and situations and history that that's just a little touch of the violence against indigenous women in both the United States and in Canada. And, you know, Doug and I have been watching this uh, series on Netflix, um, Daughters of Destiny, about young women in India being uh, the school that takes one, one child per family into this school and gives them an education. And, and then they go back and they help to raise their family out of, uh, out of poverty. And, and they're, they're, this is from the, quote, untouchable caste. So we need, somehow we need to break those chains. We need to we need to draw the line in the sand and say no, it's not going to be this way with me or with my generation or with my family. Or, and that's hard. It's mm -hmm. hard to speak truth to power, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, back to yes, and Lois, I totally agree. You got to keep on preaching and teaching because it's part of the meta narrative. I mean, this is the word of the Lord. And we've got to go back to the beginning as Jesus himself always took them back. And yeah. we got to take, and if right. we don't get those opening chapters of Genesis, right, especially up to chapter 11, if you don't get the primeval state that right, uh, then, then the rest of your story will be, uh, it'll be messed up. It'll be totally messed up. But Melissa, I wanted to ask the question too of you in Genesis 3.15, the first presentation of the gospel right out of the garden, um, it, is, it is said to Satan that the woman, her seed will, will you know, Christ is going to come and end up, he's going to mess you up. Don't you think that the devil has been against women since that time? And, I, and as I understand too, in the Babylonian Talmud, they had the 10 curses of Eve, and, uh, but there seems to be a real force of hell moving against woman just because the devil doesn't like the idea that the Messiah, Yeshua, was going to come through a woman, and then God incarnate was going to come through a woman, and uh, don't you think he's kind of taking a little bit of uh, umbrage against that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime um, violence is enacted, um, it, it is satanic um, violence against anyone. The devil comes to steal, kill, kill and destroy. I mean, I, I think that's clear. Um, and so, you know, ab absolutely. And I do think that is kind of the, the first seeds of, of the gospel that, that get established in, in, in 315. And, you know, when you look at Revelation 12, you kind of get perhaps another picture of that where you have the, the woman clothed with the sun, um, and you have her about to give birth and you have the dragon standing there waiting to devour the child snatched up, you know, to heaven. And so the, the dragon then pursues the woman and her offspring. Um, and that is said to be all who hold to the commands of, of, of God and the testimony of, of, of Jesus. So, 
um, you know, that certainly encompasses uh, all who would all who would follow Christ. Um, but but absolutely, I, I think we have to recognize the the role of of the enemy in um, sowing discord between um, men and women, um, between um, you know, uh, in any any people groups, and that is uh, that that is concerning, I I believe, and and I think that we have to we have to acknowledge that. Um, you know, it's the it's Jesus, it's the spirit that comes to bring life and liberty and to, um, you know, we talked about this last week, how in Acts 2, what a what an important narrative that is, that the spirit is poured out upon the 120, which includes women as well, um, and that the of Joel is quoted, where God says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on, you know, male and female. That is so significant. You know, no longer is it just, you know, kind of the men having the closest access to God. Um, women are now full participants in what Christ is doing and what the Spirit is doing. Um, and so those distinctions that existed are done away with um, in, in the Spirit. And so the Christian community, I believe, is supposed to be this place of um, equality in relationships. Uh, we don't lose our gender distinctions, but those no longer become barriers to experiencing what God is doing, to working in the mission. Um, and, and so to me, that's, that's what's important um, is, is that there is this release from captivity and this freedom that comes from, from the spirit. And so we don't want to we don't want to put ourselves under a, you know the the yoke of, of bondage again. We want to walk in that that freedom that God has called us to. Mm. Melissa, how how do you um, when young women come to you and they feel called uh, to ministry, um, and perhaps have been told or have read the scripture in Corinthians? Can you address the Corinthian passage and uh, what you think is going on there? Um, sure, sure. I yes, and I do. I do get a, a lot of young women that that come and talk to me. Um, which is interesting because I don't often get very many young men that come and say, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure about about my calling. They're all <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and it <laughs> is the young women um, who who often aren't aren't sure. Um, and so, um, you know, I encourage them to um, to un to to do their best to understand those those troublesome passages. Uh, it's it's interesting to me that in First Corinthians we can have passages that suggest uh, great equality like 1 Corinthians 7, where you have this, in, this long chapter on marriage, um, also on singleness and, and other things. But what's so incredible is, is that Paul um, uh, deals with every topic in relationship to both a man and a woman. Um, rather than just talking about things from a from a man's perspective, so for example, um, you know, a woman's body is not her own; it belongs to the husband. Well, that would have been, you know, pretty typical of culture. But then he'll say a husband's body belongs to his wife, right? I mean, that would have been unheard of. And 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 we'll I'll, I'll get there, Lois. Um, but one of the verses that just strikes too, too, in First Corinthians seven, is when he talks about 
what if one of the husband or wife is is an unbeliever and he he makes the point that that if if the unbeliever is willing and they can can stay in that relationship he's he's not arguing for separation of the family right he's he's arguing for them to stay together if 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 that is at all possible but he says that the wife is a sanctifying presence mm-hmm. the wife makes the husband holy and then vice versa the husband as well um and and then the result is that the children are made holy that's incredible i mean we we often talk about you know the the man's role as the priest in the home but first corinthians 7 suggests that uh if it is that that a woman has a priestly function um, and, and again, I, I just bring that up because I think those are places that we don't go to. We, we don't talk about those passages. Um, how do you know, wife, that you might save your husband? How do you know, husband, that you might save your wife? I mean, Paul seems to have this very kind of equally supportive um, understanding that I, I think is amazing. So you have passages like that. You have passages like 1 Corinthians 11, where um, a man and a woman pray or prophesy in the community um, as long as the woman has her head covered whatever whatever that part means that's another discussion that's another discussion the bigger point is that men and women are praying and prophesying in in the church then we come to first corinthians 14 um, 34 and 35 where paul um, will talk about women keeping silent in in the church um but what's interesting to me is that earlier in that passage of chapter 14, where Paul's talking about tongues and prophecy and talking about what is edifying for, for the community, there seems to be kind of disorder and chaos that, that is happening in the, the service for the, for the Corinthians. But on two occasions prior to Paul telling a woman to be silent, the person who uh, is a tongue speaker and another one has a message in tongues to give that individual is to be silent. The prophet who gives a prophecy and another prophet has a prophecy to give, that prophet is to be silent. And then thirdly, the, the, the woman is to be silent. And, and I think the point is not to deny that, that Paul is saying these women need to be silent, but that Paul is calling anyone who might disrupt the order of the service to be, to be silent. Um, so whatever is happening in the community that appears to be creating disunity, Paul is calling for unity. Um, and that includes those who speak in tongues, those who prophesy. Um, it, it does include these women, but I don't think it is this universal prohibition that we have made it to be. Paul's dealing, as he is in all of his letters, with a specific situation that the Corinthians would have understood. Um, and so I, I think we have to do the hard work of recognizing um, kind of the historical context, what's taking place as best we can from, from the side that we're reading, which is Paul's letter, um, to, to understand the, the situation and say, okay, Paul's, Paul's addressing uh, an issue here. Um, the principle for Paul is that God is a God of peace. Uh, and so the church service is to manifest that. And I think the same thing happens in 1 Timothy 2, which for me is an even 
you know, a more difficult passage where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to, you know, to, to teach, um, to have authority over a man. Um, you know, again, I think Paul is dealing with a specific situation. And in that context of, of 1 Timothy and all of the pastoral epistles, um, it appears that, that, that false teaching is a big concern in the church. And of course, Paul would say false teaching has to be silenced whenever it's taught, either by a man or a woman. Um, and so, you know, I think trying to understand those passages and recognizing them as directed to a situation, um, you know, is, is, is the only way that, that we can deal with them. Um, because we see that Paul involves women in all aspects of the mission. And that to me is the, the bigger lens. And then we take these two passages and say, well, here's Paul dealing with, with some problem situations. Hmm. Um, and so when we recognize Romans 16 and all of the women that get listed there, um, and we recognize that women get called co-workers and co-laborers, the same terms that Paul will use for males, um, that becomes significant that they are part of the Pauline mission, that they are working alongside Paul, that there are women who are house church leaders, that Junia is an apostle, that Priscilla is a teacher, that Phoebe is a deacon, not a deaconess. She is a deacon. You know, mm -hmm. those become really important to us to, to, to recognize. Mm. And that Timothy passage, uh, you know, is the church in Ephesus where Priscilla had a pastoral role anyhow. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, one, one thing about the Timothy passage, um, it seems, uh, you know, the, the plural is used for women in 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, where he says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, um, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And then in verse 11, he switches to the singular um, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Do you think that that singular woman is the uh, false teacher that Paul is coming against there uh, in it's, contrast to plural women? It's, it's, it's possible. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good, a good way to, to look at it. Um, you know, and again, I think it's something that Timothy's community would have would have known, um, and so Paul doesn't. You know, Paul, Paul writes what he what he needs to 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 the community. Our challenge is not fully understanding, you know, uh, all of that. But I do think the distinction between you know, men and women uh, is is significant. Absolutely. Uh, Melissa, just uh, piggybacking off of uh, Lois. Uh, in Catherine Kruger, Kruger's book, The I Suffer Not a Woman, she makes an argument for uh, really being aware of the ancient uh, evidence. So you have the, the world behind the text, the world behind the text. And she purports that the real problem in uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, is that in the ancient world, uh, they believed that the, they were flowing out of this one Gnostic belief that the, the woman was created first and then man and that salvation came through the woman. And so what Paul is really addressing in context of the world behind the text uh, is an understanding that 
this it is not so much that he's against women usurping authority over men but the teaching itself not the yes. teacher the teaching that women were created first by the gnostics and not saying that women because this is the same man who said that i mean the there's there's a plethora of scriptures where he condones women and then you got some obscure passages that can be you know like this one that you can uh, clarify but the, the you know this is the issue is what's being taught not the teacher himself or herself a absolutely i use that textbook uh, kroger's text when i teach pastoral epistles and um I honestly think they have the best argument <laughs> for, oh, yes. for this passage. And um, you're, you're absolutely right. The kind of Gnostic text and, and, and stories that have been discovered about Eve um, and Eve and the serpent and kind of this deception of, of Adam into, you know, thinking that he was created first. And so I, you know, we're back to the creation story because I do think what Paul does is, is, is Paul goes back to the creation story to establish, you know, orthodoxy, yes. um, you know, the, the, where Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, that verb for have authority, authentane is, and I think we mentioned this last week, is a word that only occurs right there in the New That's Testament. Right. So when we have words that are rare, um, it's sometimes hard to determine how the author is, is using that term. Um, and so what the Krogers pick up on is one of the ways that that term gets defined in kind of sec secular Greek of, of that time period is to, um, to, to be the author of. So they would be saying, Paul would be saying, I don't permit a woman to proclaim herself the author of. I mean, mm -hmm. for, um, for Adam was created first and not Eve. And Eve became the, the transgressor, the, the sinner. That's the really interesting part. Because if we, think about, if we think about Romans, it's always Adam, right? Who is, you know, yeah. kind of um, the, the one that, that Paul will name as, you know, where sin originates. In Adam, all have sinned. In Christ, all are made alive. Right. So Adam is the first. Christ is the second Adam um, re redeeming, redeeming us. Um, it's only in, in First Timothy 2 and in Second Corinthians um, 11 that Paul uses Eve in this role. And both contexts are false teaching. Um, and, and so I, I think that things like that become important. We, we can't just latch on to this verse in, in, in 1 Timothy and divorce it from the rest of what Paul has to say. Mm -hmm. So I think Paul goes back and refers to the creation narrative, kind of set the record straight from those who are teaching these false stories, these um, what we would call not Gnostic stories. Um, and I think the Krogers do a really good job of understanding that. And I think some of the problem is is that you have to go kind of outside the text into the world behind the text that you were mentioning to, to, under, to understand that. And that often becomes a, a problem for people because we talk about kind of the plain meaning of the text and, and, and be, being able to understand everything we need from, from the scripture. Um, but there are places that we do really have to go behind the text to, to discover what is is being talked about and um, I, I think that's important for pastors 
to teach and to to preach on so that people have that understanding. Mm-hmm. Well, Melissa, I just want to mention that um, something that Van mentioned earlier when he talked about the simultaneous creation of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. And then, of course, in Genesis 2, we see the creation of male and female. Uh, what interests me, and I want to ask you about in um, Genesis 2.24, when the commentary is made about a man leaving and a woman leaving and cleaving to each other, and then the two becomes one. It is almost like the simultaneous uh, creation in chapter one, and then the separation of, of what the two are in chapter two comes together in a uh, marriage relationship. And that seems to be uh, that this oneness is then created again, back from the two being individual uh, to one. I just want to you address that a little bit. Well, we might need to go to Lois on this. She's the, she's the Hebrew <laughs> scholar here. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Genesis, I think Genesis 1, um, the whole of Genesis 1 kind of creates this overarching um, kind of prologue, uh, our understanding of, of, of creation. So um, separating out from all of the other ancient cosmologies and um, establishing that Israel's God is the creator, right? And so, you know, the, the, the establishment of, of the heavens and the earth and, and these, the, the lights, right? They're not called sun and moon necessarily because those were often worshiped in other cultures. So, um, you know, Israel's God, Genesis wants to say, is, is the true God. Um, and everything that we see is made by this God and spoken into existence. And then, you know, the, the creation then of, of, of humanity in, in chapter one, we kind of get this, this big picture that God creates them male and female, right? Genesis two then talks about kind of that act in, in, in more detail. Um, and so Adam being created first, Eve coming out of, of Adam, um, and then, as you as you said, Adam making this declaration and this understanding of of, of the oneness of them. Um, but I don't think that 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 um, does away with what we see in chapter in chapter one. I, I don't think to say that Adam was created first and Eve second implies this subordination. Um, the 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 way sometimes that men and women get described in that. Um, you know, men were created first, so men, men are to be leaders. Women were created second, so that, you know, women are called to, sub, to, to be subordinate. I just don't think that's a good reading of, of the text. But unfortunately, um, that's the type of teaching that we sometimes see. And then it becomes, this is the way God made it. This is, this is what, what the Bible says. Um, and I just think we've got we've to be better readers than, than that. Um, and I just don't see God establishing those type of hierarchical relationships um, in, in the scriptures. It's mm -hmm. that unity that is God's ideal. Mm -hmm. Lois, do you want to jump in on that? You're the Hebrew scholar here. Well, I, I don't make any claim to understand that that uh, particular process, but um, and, and I don't mean to change the subject, but I'm I'm kind of thinking of the ramifications of what we're talking about in terms of, um, okay, so we've got 
we've got the theological biblical world of faith that travels on from you know israel and church and so on to this day but then you have this whole other aspect uh, this whole other world that that isn't a theological uh well it has its own uh you know every culture has had its own uh, you know religions and so on but i guess what i'm thinking of is you know, back to our topic of violent, global violence against women, you know, how do we get to this day? How do we, you know, in, in a sense, yeah, we can look back and say bad theology, bad teaching, the church reinforcing patriarchy, um, uh, you know, and so on. You know, are we saying that the church is responsible for all of the, you know, if the church had been different, the whole world would be different or are you know what are the other factors involved in global violence against women obviously in our current culture we have a lot of objectification of women we've got the issue of pornography we have you know uh the the whole technology and and um you know video kind of um accessibility that has has and, and even movies and tv and so on that have objectified women even more but i guess what i'm saying is sort of the big question of how do how did we get from there to here and uh we can talk about the role of the church and the role of theology and the role of scripture in these things but what else is going on and what do we do about it i you yeah. know uh how did we get here and what do we do about it too we can see the thread of bad theology. What other threads are there that brought us to this place? And we know what we can do within the church. Um, and we need to take that out of, you know, out into the world to make a difference. Um, but what other factors, Melissa, do you think have been involved um, in, in this issue of global violence against women? Yeah, and I don't pretend to know um, the the answers the answer to that. And I do want to be very clear that um, you know I'm not I'm not saying this is the the church's fault uh, in in any in any way. Um, so I, I I do want to be clear on on that. I think um, I think there's probably a lot of factors that have have contributed um, to these things po poverty. Um, lack, lack of lack of education, um, you know, we see so often where um, you know girls haven't been educated um, as as to the level that 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 boys have been educated. Um, it is kind of some of these cultural concepts that exist of of, of kind of a woman being viewed as 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 property, um, so kind of passed from you know a. a a father to a husband or, or, or whatever, without her really having any, any say in all of that. And, and so oftentimes this sense of, 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 of a woman as a possession or an object can, can certainly lead to, to violence. Um, you know, poverty plays a huge role in human trafficking, for example, um, in, in countries where traffickers will, will offer, you know, money to in, impoverished families and they have these impossible decisions that they make and perhaps thinking that that their daughter's actually going to get a better life when she then in reality ends up in a traffic situation um you know so so just kind of these horrible things cultural taboos things um related to uh, understanding about uh, about sex um so female gen female genital mutilation and the 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 
the continued practice of, of, of things like that. Um, you know, I think, I think all of those play a role. And then there's probably, you know, a, a ton more factors that, that we could look at, but issues of, of, of power and who exercises it, um, you know, I, I think become important. But I, I, I still do think and I could be completely wrong on, on this. I, I still do think that there is a fundamental problem with how women get understood as not um, fully valued in the same way that, that men are. Um, mm -hmm. Look at countries where um, you know, female infants are tossed aside because the preference is for boys. You know, wh why? I, why is that? Um, without women, we're not going to continue the human race uh, just in terms of biology. But yet there is this preference for sons, this understanding that it is a son that carries on the legacy of the family. Why? How, how does that? How does that develop? And um, so I, I, I'm I'm still convinced that there is um, a fundamental distinction in the way that women are viewed in society as a whole from from the from the way men are viewed. Um, but there's a vulnerability um, too. You know, um, the traditionally and in many cultures today you've got uh, women are you know they're completely dependent upon the man to make the yes. money and without the man they they don't they're not they don't have anything and um, i'm seeing that in this daughters of destiny um uh series we've been watching but um i'm thinking about the difference between um strength and endurance you know men and women are often characterized as you know a man may be stronger but a woman has endurance you know sort of the uh ability for childbirth or just the day in and day out labor you know that, that takes endurance yes yeah the, and and you know not that there aren't women who are stronger than men or men who are more enduring than women, but in general, you know, this is a characteristic, but the, the vulnerability uh, aspect, I think, um, is there as well. Even you mentioned attitudes about sex, but also, you know, menstruation and childbirth yes. also puts, uh, you know, young girls and women in, in a very vulnerable um, position. It, it just underscores so much the need for the church to be the church in these things and to raise the value of women to to yeah. see Jesus and his love and care for women and to to understand Paul better um, to see him advocating people like Junia and Phoebe and Priscilla and um, and uh, to to be that voice not just the squeaky voice but a, a loud <laughs> um, clear clarion call to um, the value, just in the same way that we're trying to make a clear call for for uh, value of Black Lives Matter, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's uppercase or lowercase, I don't care. Just make a matter, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, it it just again, it just all comes back to recognizing the beauty of human creation and how yeah. we're, we're all vulnerable in some way, right? We all need each other. Now. Uh, Melissa, I have another thought uh, for you that uh, I want to push in a little bit on what Lois said. Uh, 
um, the church is not responsible. Everything has gone wrong. However, however, uh, there's a sliver of thought here I think we should consider is that uh, it is, it, if you use this saying, you know, you could say like, when the church has a cold, the world has pneumonia. And what I, what I mean by that is, uh, when, when the church distorts a God-given truth about humanity, then uh, the world philosophies and them not walking under the saving grace of God are going to exploit that even further. And so I think it was Martin Luther uh, who wrote a paper called All Jews Are Liars. Well, as I was told, Hitler read that <laughs> and says, see, even the church endorses the... the and then when you study theology about blacks, you see um, how uh, so-called scholars uh, in Christianity have distorted the curse of Ham. Yes. And then you have world philosophers who exploit that even further. So I believe the church has a role to play in this, in the distortion of the creation narrative, but not totally responsible because there's an enemy behind all of this. Sure. He's our common enemy and he wants all of us taken out. And yet uh, God made us, and I think when we think of the, um, the Elohims uh, of heaven, not Yahweh Elohim, but the, the, the subordinate Elo Elohims to Yahweh, um, their whole purpose since the garden is to destroy what God loves. And yet we should be on a mission of back to the Garden of Eden lifestyle or to paradise restored. That's why I believe, Lois, we've got to go back to preaching the, the narrative from Genesis. And we got to keep squeaking and squeaking and squeaking and just... Just trust God, like he told Ezekiel, you know, that you, you don't think you're going to be heard, but keep saying it. Yeah, I've, I've been in, in places before. I, I remember talk, mentioning something about women and, and, and uh, a fellow male minister said, oh, don't tell me you're getting into that women stuff again. And, and I, I think that the same happens when you bring up the issue of race, you know, in places They're like, oh, don't, don't, what is it? Don't play the black card or don't yeah, play don't the race card. Racism. Card. Like, I'm not playing cards. I am talking to you <laughs> human to human here. That's right. You know? um, and, and that sort of that dismissive attitude, like, oh, let's not get into that women thing, woman thing again, you know, um, you know, all of these we can be accused of being, you know, politically correct and all of this, but these things are, you know, it's important to be uh, political in the sense of we are in a polis, we are in a community together, yes. we live together, we're citizens, we're, we're members of the church, we're members of the body of Christ. We need to care for one another with the dignity and respect, whether it's, we're talking about the value of children, the value of the elderly, the value of the disabled, um, that's not because we're being politically correct, you know, or I should say it's not merely because we're being politically correct, but it's the foundation of that is, you know, do unto others as you would have them do it to you. How do you want to be treated? How, what kind of respect do you want? Um, you know, show that then to others and, um, you know, Dismissiveness is, is uh, you know, could be called a microaggression, but sometimes it's a macroaggression because it, it so deflates people 
that they uh, they don't, you know, they can't go on. Like Melissa, we were talking about young women coming to you and asking about ministry. And I, I've had young women when I was teaching um, at Evangel, um, you know, I remember a girl, I, I taught on women in ministry that day. The topic was ministry, but I also focused on women in ministry to emphasize it. She came up to me afterwards and, and just almost in tears and said, you know, I have felt called, but so many people have been telling me that I can't do this, you know, that I shouldn't do this, you know, like it's a sin to do this. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we need those moments where we can encourage someone in their calling. And like Melissa said about Acts 2, the spirit poured out on all flesh. And, uh, you know, and that's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. He, you know, um, showing the value that was due them as human beings, as, as members of the church, um, who God had a job for them to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and those moments of encouragement are so important. I think I mentioned last week, my father and the influence that he had on me as, you know, um, and yes, I was the only girl in a family of five. So I had four brothers. So I was probably, as Doug says, daddy's little angel, but, um, you know, he, he gave me things to do. He took me with him on, you know, on ministry calls. He gave me opportunities. He encouraged me. And those little things, you know, really add up to a person feeling like, maybe I could do this. Maybe I have something that I could, you know, a value I could offer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the first female Bible teacher that I, had, I ever saw was when I went to Evangel and Twyla Edwards was my New Testament um, introduction teacher. I had never heard the Bible taught from a woman. Yeah. And that was just completely eye-opening for me. Um, And, and, you know, I look back now and see how that really kind of set me on a, a trajectory. Yeah. But I do think it's so important. And I know we're back to talking about the, the, the church, you know, I think um, seeing women, in ministry roles, in leadership roles, is is the way to begin to change some of these narratives. We we can't just look at, at you know women in in the secular world. I mean, we're we're getting ready to have the inauguration of the first female <laughs> vice president. I mean, yeah. our 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 society has has so much. Paul could have never envisioned a society like we live in today, right? Um, and so, you know, if, if we see that, 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 that um, women around the world are being viewed as, as equal, but yet in certain segments of the church world, we continue to see them kind of, you know, put in their place or, or only limited to certain areas of ministry. Um, I don't think that's, that's a good, that's a good testimony. Right. And, and so we need to see women ministering at, at all levels. And not just it's not just that our young girls need to see that. Our young boys need to see that. Men yeah. and women need to see that. Um, I think that the church is the holy nation, the royal priesthood, um, right? We are to be that um, prophetic voice to, to the world. Mm. Um, and, and so we should be mirroring what what God has called us to. And, and, and that is this, this um, unity uh, between one another uh, in which we can fully 
um, share the love of God and be ones who are reconciling people to God, people to each other, um, the way that we're, that we're called to do so. Mm. I think we also, Lois asked, you know, what are things we can do? I, I think we have to um, support ministries that are working in areas that uh, in, in involve women. I know, um, and I don't want to start naming because I, I, I'll surely leave out something super important, but um, Project Rescue, um, that works with traffic girls, uh, Christine, Christine Canes, A21, that mm-hmm. works with traffic girls, and then, you know, various justice initiatives that are, you know, working on these types of things. I, I think that's in, I think that's important. Getting involved in local, you know, in a domestic violence shelter. What a wonderful thing for a church to do, to, to, to be a resource um, for women who find themselves in abusive situations. I, I think there are ways that the church can tangibly roll up its sleeves and get involved in these, in these types of issues. And, you know, to me, that's what James talks about with our faith and works. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I think it behooves us as the body of Christ to um, not just talk about it, but to, you know, involve ourselves in ways that we can, you know, minister to, to people. Well, I, I agree with you. And I think just like uh, as Blacks, we've asked so many whites, our brothers and sisters, to have empathy uh, towards what we're going through and stand with us. Uh, I would like to say to you, Melissa and Lois, that, um, you know, we have empathy and not empathy for womanhood. And any way we can stand with you and show that we're in unity with you and that we got your backs, uh, any way we might serve, we're just looking to you for uh, the guidance and all of that. And we honor, we honor women that, uh, you know, Jesus is coming back for his bride, not a bridegroom. <laughs> he's coming back for his bride. So I think he's pretty important. And, uh, but any way we can stand and support you uh, Lois, just let us know how we can do that. We talk about a Samaritan movement. It should be inclusive of women also. And, and uh, we just thank you so much, uh, Dr. Archer, for coming today because our lives have been enriched and blessed. Yes. And, uh, the Lord has opened our eyes a little more to what we're going through. And, and just thank you for taking the time to be with us and speak your heart and uh, uh, we're just grateful to you coming on the show today. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you. Dennis, do you want to say anything before I say the closing blessing today? Or No, man, it's been a great show. And I've enjoyed Dr. Archer and all of the panel today. And um, just looking forward to uh, when she can be back with us again. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> Lois will get us for that. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, you know, next week, though, Dennis, we are going to deal with the election and the inauguration, whatever events take place. And certainly, Melissa, if you had any comments on all that, you could come on and speak your mind to it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are going to deal with those issues next week. And uh, we hope that the uh, audience will be super blessed through uh, the message of womanhood, who are also the Imago Day. And that together, we're never going to have dominion on earth until we together get it together and work together for the glory of God. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one and give you shalom in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the name of Yeshua, HaMashiach. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. God bless Amen. you. I think we're off. We're off and our recording has stopped.